My friend, there is a line you can cross where you will put the final callus on your heart and you will not be able to repent. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Revelation 22, verses 10 to 12, and a message entitled, What Happens When Jesus Returns? We saw last week that this passage is a warning that Jesus could come at any moment. And when he does come, he'll come quickly. What is particularly eye-opening is that once Jesus comes for his church, those who have clearly heard and understood the gospel message will be unable to come to faith during the time of tribulation. They will be forever sealed in their unbelief if they have chosen that. As we pick up today, Dr. Brogy notes the flip side of the coin, that the saved will be forever righteous. That to those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, have had righteousness imputed to them, and the Bible calls these people saints. You're looking at St. Carl this morning. Now, they wouldn't have called me that in the church I was raised in. You had to die before you could get that title. And the title was based on works, what you've done, and at least a miracle or two that went with it. But in the New Testament, every believer, even the newest believer, is called a saint. God has declared you holy forever. And so once he's declared you holy, you are to practice that holiness. And so the results of expounding the word of God, the words found in the revelation, will lock some people forever in unbelief, but it will move other people forever in holiness. It's a sobering thought. You reject God's warnings, and you can potentially even today fix your eternal state. You know what one of the saddest verses for me in all the Bible It concerns the northern kingdom. It's found in Hosea chapter 4. And God said, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Don't do anything. Hosea, don't waste your breath. He's given himself to idols. Leave him alone. Why? Because my spirit will not always strive with men. Jesus said about the leaders of Israel in his day, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. There's an urgency for people to respond because you may not have the opportunity to respond tomorrow. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12 when he told us to make a decision when he admonished, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Because of a lack of response, the door can be forever closed. He goes on to say in the next verse, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Do you remember the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25? It speaks of those who, because of their lack of response, were not ready when the bridegroom comes. And while they were going to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. 
God wants you to know that when the Bible is preached, especially the book of the Revelation, these words, it's either an instrument of salvation or damnation. And so in John 12, because the leaders had habitually time and time and time and time again said no to Jesus, God gave them their wish. And so the text says they could not believe. Why? Because they would not believe. The great Princeton theologian Joseph Alexander in the 19th century wrote these words. There is a time I know not when. There is a place I know not where, which marks the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There is a line by us not seen which crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. How far may we go on in sin? How long will God forbear? Where does hope end and where begin the confines of despair and answer from the skies is sent while it is called today, repent. My friend, there is a line you can cross where you will put the final callus on your heart and you will not be able to repent. You will go on in your filthiness and in the end you will go on in your suffering. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. That's what he's talking about. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. People who want to keep their sin will eventually get their wish because you don't come when you want to come. You come when God knocks on your heart's door. You can't come to Christ on your own. The Spirit must convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And every week, because God is pulling on people, He brings people here sometimes for the first time because He wants to save them. But you are free to say no. And someone whose destiny is fixed, they've crossed that line. You know what they do? They mock and make fun of preachers like me. Peter said of them, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? You born again folks, you're always saying Jesus is coming back. Come on, you can't be serious. You're just another lunatic pastor, Brogy. The sad truth is that they are headed for an eternal condemnation. Paul said it this way when the gospel is preached in 2 Corinthians 2, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, those who are being saved, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? So on the one, to those who are lost, we're an aroma of death. To those who are responsive, we are an aroma of life. Let me put it in modern nomenclature. Are you kidding, Pastor Carl? What you are preaching to me today stinks. I'm never coming back here. I'll never turn on this broadcast again. I don't like what you stand for. And then there will be other people. What you just shared with me is the most refreshing message I have ever heard in my life. How I can be forgiven of my sin and have life eternal. Paul said, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Look, I've had doors slammed in my face. I've been spit on. I've had people write me nasty notes. On occasion, they leave a message on the church voicemail, and Claudia will say, I don't think you want to hear this, Juan. And then people have, on more than one occasion, told me where to go, and it's never been to heaven. But then I've had wonderful times of people whose countenance has changed, who are filled with joy, sometimes tears flowing down their face because of the good news. That's the first point. The first response is Christ's return settles who we will be either eternally lost or saved. But notice in verse 12, the second response, Christ's return settles what we will receive. His return settles what we will receive. And so in verse 12, notice he first says, behold, I am coming quickly. This is the fifth time in the revelation he said, I am coming quickly. It means soon or shortly. Again, it is dealing not so much with the time of time, but the kind of time that once the events start, they will happen very, very quick. And we've seen that with the seal, bowl, and trumpet judgments. Every generation, though, is to be expectant. They are to be watching. They are to be ready, which is why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 that we are to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Jesus would say here, I'm coming quickly. In other words, be ready. It could happen at any moment. It could happen before this sermon is over. You need to be ready because when I come, I will come suddenly, quickly, unannounced. Let's read all of verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, as the context brings out, he is dealing with rewards to two kinds of people, those who go on in their filth to those who go on in their holiness. So first, the lost will receive their just reward. The lost people of this world will receive their just reward. Again, according to the context, it's a mixed blessing because he'll reward every man according to his works as we already studied in chapter 20. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Those who know Jesus, it will be blessing. To those who don't, it will spell their eternal doom. Now, we've seen this phrase, and it's a phrase that's repeated throughout the Scripture that God rewards us according to what we have done. So let's be clear on what that means and what it doesn't mean. Let me refresh your memory. Go back to a page or two in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Twice over in the 20th chapter, he uses the same phrase that people are judged according to their deeds. Now, in chapter 20, of course, if you remember, in verses 11 to 15, he's dealing with the lost of all time. And we read here in verse 12, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, the big shots and the little shots, the well-knowns and the unknowns, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the dead were judged according to the things which were written in the books. How? According to their deeds. Look again in verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death in Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Death here is a synonym for the grave. Death, the grave has the body, so to speak, but Hades has the soul. And they were judged how? Every one of them, according to their deeds. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that God is keeping a record. 
of everything. Everything that you do, every thought that you've had, everything that you've said, God writes it down in indelible ink. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Paul said this in Romans 2, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. That means things that nobody else knew. God wrote it down. Something you thought, I got away with it. No one found out. God wrote it down. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12? But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Words of profanity, words of dishonesty, words of exaggeration, words of gossip, every word. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed. Why? Because God has it written in his books. It's plural, biblia. And so that's translated into English as Bible. We speak of the Biblia, our Bible. But God has another set of books in which the works of every unbeliever is recorded. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He misses absolutely nothing. And so he will judge every lost person according to their deeds. Here in verse 13 of Revelation 13, I have circled the word everyone. Now, it's a little wooden, but literally the Greek means each one. In other words, he is underscoring while there is this mass of humanity at the great white throne judgment, each and every one gives an account. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 16. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, and then will repay every man how? According to his deeds. Do we get this? Why does God judge according to deeds? Two reasons. Number one, your deeds will show that you've never been born again. Paul says in Titus 1, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. You say, well, I know lost people who do a lot of good deeds. Sure they do. For the glory of men, for the praise of self, for the appeasement of a guilty conscience, but not out of gratitude for having been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not out of a grateful heart. And some are doing deeds trying to earn the approval of God. And God says of such people in Isaiah that your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. So God knows that our deeds really ultimately reveal whether or not we've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. But there's a second reason why God judges every lost man according to his deeds is because hell is not the same for every lost person. Now, when the Lord Jesus spoke about hell, he described it as an awful place for anyone who went. When he spoke in general terms, it's an awful place. But in other places, he reminded us that there are degrees of punishment in hell. In Matthew 10, Jesus said this to the 12 as he sends them out. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus warning hypocrites. He said that they are, they are people who like to walk around in long robes. 
and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues in places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Just as heaven is a wonderful place for every believer who goes there, it won't be the same for every believer. And just as hell is an awful place, it's a miserable place, it will be somehow in the perfect justice of God more miserable for some people than for others. So just know that neither Revelation 22 verse 12 or other passages that speak that you're judged according to your deeds, that it is teaching that you are saved by good works that God somehow has this big scale and he measures the good versus the bad. We'll come to it next week. It is so clear in the context in verse 14. Your lifestyle is determined by your relationship to the lamb. But God will show that there's no way of escape. Paul says every mouth will be shut. No excuses at the judgment seat of the great white throne because men will know they are guilty. So the lost will receive their just reward according to their deeds. But we're also reminded through the rest of Scripture and as this chapter unfolds that the saved will receive their gracious reward. Again, according to their deeds. Behold, I'm coming. And my reward is with me to render each and every man according to what he has done. Now, again, when the Lord Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, it's not simply describing the speed in which he leaves heaven and arrives on the earth, but the suddenness, imminence, soonness of his coming. He's coming quickly, and that's why he said to born-again believers in New Testament terminology in Mark 13, 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. That's the fourth time he actually said that to his disciples, to take heed, blepite. Someone might ask, well, in view of the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming, why is remaining watchful so urgent? Because number one, at this point, when Jesus says this, while they have not yet been taught the rapture, they're going to be taught that doctrine there in the upper room, and then the epistles are going to unfold it. It's a mystery. It was something that was in the Old Testament. It was concealed, but it is now fully revealed. It's there in type. Now we look back and we can see it in full. God's like Enoch, who suddenly is gone. Then judgment comes a short time later through the great flood. The church will be caught up. Then the tribulation will come. And just as Noah entered into a brand new world, we, when Jesus comes back at the second coming, will enter into a brand new world with him. But they at least understand, based on what Daniel had revealed, that they were seven plus years away from Messiah's kingdom. Now understand who Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse to. He is reaching out to a handful of his apostles. Here's a chart to help us remember the order of events. The rapture happens first. We're caught up. And so from the Latin Bible, we get the word rapture, translating harpazo, for we shall all be caught up. We meet the Lord in the air. A seven-year period unfolds, divided into two halves, tribulation and great tribulation, where then Jesus comes back to the earth. First, he comes for his church. Seven-plus years later, he comes back with his church to the earth, where he will then establish his kingdom for a 1,000 years. And so this generation of disciples, 
know that they are at least seven years away from the kingdom of the Messiah. And so they need to be vigilant. They need to be anticipating it. And now, especially in light of all that God has revealed, we need to be ready. Why? Because you and I will give an account according to our deeds. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment takes place in heaven for saved people only. Paul said, for we, he includes himself, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Some of our works done as saved people are bad. You could translate it useless. In the sense that when they are tested with fire, there are nothing to use Paul's analogy but wood, hay, and stubble, and they're immediately consumed. No eternal value. Why? Well, maybe we did them for the praise of men. Maybe we did them in the energy of the flesh. Only that that survives of eternal value is that which is done in the power of the Spirit, which is, by the way, why I call this a gracious reward. Because God doesn't put you on some performance basis. He saves you by grace. Then he sanctifies you by grace. He says, you be available, you be yielded, and then my spirit will work in and through you in an eternity. I'll reward you for it. John said it this way. And by the way, if you've not been to the discovery class, we go through in detail the kinds of things that God rewards his people for. Second John 8, one chapter, verse 8 Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Some believers who do not guard their hearts, who have misdirected priorities, will not receive a full reward. And God wants us to receive a full reward. In Revelation 3 and verse 11, Jesus said this to the church, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one may take your crown. Again, Paul speaks of the saved who have works that are burned up. If any man's work which is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. Now, what does that mean, saved, yet so is through fire? The foundation Paul describes is Christ, and we build upon that foundation by the life we live to save people. And someday God will test everything that you have done. And there will be some people who will enter the kingdom of God, saved but singed, so to speak. They'll get in there with their, you know, uh, smoking, so to speak, with their coattails smoking. Now, I know there's always carnally-minded people who say, well, I'm just glad I'm going. I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. I don't care if I have just a little old log cabin in the corner of heaven. I'll be glad that I'm there. If you think that way, it probably means you've never been saved. Now, I can't fully explain it, but I do know that believers in heaven, Jesus said it, Paul taught it, will suffer loss. Revelation twenty two eleven plainly indicates that apart from faith in the Lord Jesus, as verse 14 will underscore your relationship to the Lamb, you'll never see the inside of the kingdom. But once you are saved, you are to grow in that sanctification process as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. Now, if you're here today and you don't know that if you died today or Christ returned that you'd go to heaven, the first step to building a well-ordered life is to receive Jesus. You can't earn heaven. The gift of God is eternal life. You don't earn gifts. When someone gives you a gift, they did the work for it, they paid for it. It's free to the recipient. 
for the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve, death. That's what I deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. You have to humbly admit that you're bankrupt, that you can do nothing, and you receive the gift of eternal life. And if you've never done that, I would encourage you before you leave today, do that. But many of you are members of this church, and maybe some of you take pride in the fact that you just come here every Sunday to hear me preach. But you don't ever tithe. You don't ever pray for the ministries of this church much less participate in them. You can't remember the last time you ever tried to take someone through the plan of salvation. And you'll serve only if it doesn't interfere with your schedule and your lifestyle. And I am telling you, as sure as I am standing on this platform, that you will give an account to Jesus, especially for your relationship to the local church, because that's what God prizes. And if my heart wasn't right, I'd want to get it right today. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support the persons whose heart is fully his. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. Paul said, work out your salvation. Not work for, but once you're saved, work it out in dependence with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. Now, Father, I thank you this morning that you've given me the chance to stand here and the people you've entrusted me to shepherd and to tell them the truth. As I've been preaching to them, I've been preaching to myself. And I pray today, Father, for someone who has never received Jesus. They may look back at a time when they walked an aisle and they shook a preacher's hand, maybe when someone even baptized them. But they have no assurance that if this were their last day on earth that they would go to heaven because they've never been saved according to your word. Now we know just as we're born once physically, we're born again just once spiritually. But you said when it happens, we're a new creation, the old has passed away and everything's become new. And if someone here has never found that new life, thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Father, help them to call upon Jesus. You said, whoever will call on his name will be saved. Help them in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father... For those of us who've already crossed that line, help us to take some inventory because the admonition that you've given us is those who are holy are to continue on in that holiness. We are to become more and more like Jesus and to serve him faithfully. Lord Jesus, you said it over and over again through your apostles and by your own lips that you will judge each and every one of us as saved people according to our deeds. Thank you that as we are yielded to the Spirit of God, that he equips us, he empowers us, and in eternity you reward us. How kind and gracious you are. We love you, our Father. May our love exemplify itself in our obedience all the more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
to listen again to today's message from Revelation 22, verses 10 to 12, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV69, titled, What Happens When Jesus Returns? Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Tomorrow we begin a look at the coming heavenly kingdom. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.